now I don't have to worry about getting back. I know I'll be fine. Everyone will be fine. Post-pandemic travel takes off. The reaction from air passengers on the first full day without COVID restrictions. Breaking news, a new wildfire too close for comfort. What it says about dry conditions with much of BC experiencing drought. And revealing the grisly truth. They were very good. They were terrible. The documentary premiere of Vancouver's failed NBA team and a reunion of the key players later. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Nice to have you with us. And we begin with some breaking news and more proof today that our wildfire season is not over with a rare October fire sparking up at a popular Coquitlam Park. You can see the helicopter crew at work from the BC Wildfire Service helping Coquitlam Fire and Rescue firefighters and Metro Vancouver crews trying to contain a wildfire that broke out at a lookout at the top of a hiking area in Minicata Regional Park just before noon. Metro Vancouver Regional District Emergency Services posted on social media that crews got the fire under control within a couple of hours, but there is still heavy smoke in the area and it has not been extinguished. The park has been closed because of the fire. The BC Wildfire Service says there are 168 active wildfires in BC right now. 25 of them sparked in just the past week alone. The cause of the Minicata fire is still under investigation. We'll keep an eye on it for you and provide any further updates if necessary. And the Port Alberni Fire Department posted this video of a brush fire that broke out this afternoon behind a store in the 3400 block of Johnston Road. No structures were threatened and crews managed to put it out pretty quickly. No word on what sparked that fire, but the superintendent of BC Wildfire's Predictive Services Unit says that this year's fire season obviously is not over, with temperatures 5 to 8 degrees above normal for this time of year and a lack of rain in many parts of the province. We'll have more on the drought conditions a little later in the weathercast on the news hour. Well, today is the first full day without COVID travel restrictions at the Canadian border. No more mask requirement, vaccine declarations, random testing or isolating. And the Arrive Can app is now optional. Travis Prasad shows us how travelers are responding. A slow go at the Pacific Highway border crossing on Saturday. How long have you been in line? Uh, almost 45 minutes, I think. Oh, yeah. We're off to a jazz festival in Bellingham, so we're sort of counting the minutes, but we've got another hour. The border, a popular place to be thanks to travel restrictions being lifted. Well, I think it's great, but it adds for more traffic. As of Friday night, quarantine and isolation requirements are gone. You don't need to show proof of vaccination, and filling out the ArriveCan app before returning to Canada is no longer mandatory. A lot of, of local government officials and uh, certainly businesses have been pushing really hard and advocating for this requirement to go away. So um, I don't think it will be missed by, by many. For air travelers, pre- and post-flight COVID tests have stopped and masks are recommended but not required at airports or on flights. Europe and the U.S. dropped them months ago, but at YVR, reaction seems to be split down the middle. It's fun not to have to wear a mask and get to see people 
uh, and smiles and all of those things. Well, I think to each his own. We're lucky enough that we have choices, but we've got a, a long vacation coming, so we're just taking our precautions ahead of time. It doesn't hurt us to take a little extra care. The federal government says 38 million people have crossed into Canada this year. That's double the amount of visitors in 2021. Still, land border crossings are at just 60% of pre-pandemic levels. Experts predict the number will climb, just not overnight. Because you know, news doesn't necessarily travel very quickly. People have changed their habits. So I think we'll see a slow return. But I wouldn't be surprised if this weekend we do see a little bit of a spike. As the last set of pandemic restrictions comes to an end. Travis Prasad, Global News. For the past two and a half years, Vancouver business owners and operators have been plagued with crime and street disorder. Police say commercial break and enters with broken glass and mischief are up 64% since 2019. And Global News has now learned one of the suspects in a recent window smashing rampage is a career criminal from Alberta with a history of violence. Kristen Robinson reports. When it comes to homelessness, the VPD's top cop says our city is a destination. The weather is much milder here. There's a lot of sports here in Vancouver, and we are a magnet for the entire country. We see the great migration west, and many times they're bringing social issues with them. Global News has learned the suspect accused of smashing several windows with a brick, causing almost $70,000 in damage to this TD bank last month is a convicted killer from Alberta. 48-year-old Curtis George McCallum's criminal history dates back to 1992 in Edmonton, where in 2009 he was sentenced to nine years in prison for manslaughter and aggravated assault in the Christmas Eve 2006 killing of his aunt and the stabbing of her common-law husband. It is very uh, terrifying I, for you know, everyone in the neighborhood to know that individuals such as this are out and about. Clothing store owner Shelley Clausen says she and her staff are already battling broken windows and chasing down suspects to retrieve stolen items. Street disorder, she says, got 10 times worse during the pandemic and is hitting everyone's doorstep. What was mostly concentrated on East Hastings is now infiltrated big portions of downtown. It's not just a policing issue. This is a mental health crisis, and it's just not being dealt with uh, at any level. Clausen believes society has failed the most vulnerable, and more intervention is needed. We also have to have a social safety net set up to stop people from getting to this level of, of poverty and marginalization and disparity. And that's where we failed. While on statutory release from prison in 2013, McCallum was wanted for being at large. According to the Edmonton Sun, he turned himself in days later. McCallum was charged with break and enter and assaulting a woman in 2015, then accused of assaulting another woman with a weapon a year later, before he was convicted of assault with a weapon in West Kelowna in 2019. McCallum is now out of custody and charged with mischief over five grand in Vancouver. Kristen Robinson, Global News. And there's more. The hostel and guesthouse properties next door to Claussen's Richard Street Boutique are also dealing with street disorder. Last Sunday morning, staff called 911 to report two men passing what appeared to be a rifle back and forth in the alley. The VPD responded and discovered the weapon was a long-barreled BB, BB gun. 
It was seized and police say the men involved were cooperative. Now to another renewed call for increased public safety measures in Vancouver. And it comes after a Vancouver business owner tried to stop a thief only to be assaulted for her efforts. Julia Foy has more. First responders raced to a clothing store near Helmican and Howe Friday afternoon after the owner was attacked in the middle of the afternoon. Vancouver police say a man entered the store, attempted to steal something, and then bear sprayed the owner when she tried to stop him. After assaulting the owner, a woman in her 50s, the suspect stole clothing and fled. The woman told Global News she had only opened her store three months ago and it had recently been targeted by vandals who shattered windows and threw verbal abuse at her. The owner of this boutique was so traumatized she can only tell me in person what's been going on. She's terrified of being identified in any way, shape or form. But she's asking for help. She just signed a five-year lease. She doesn't know how she's going to survive. Oh, yeah. John Clarity says his business has been hit by thieves and vandals on several occasions in recent years. He wants City Hall to act. It's hurting the everyday citizen, no matter who you are or what your income level. You're not doing the people who need help, uh, a lot of help, nor the business owners, nor the residents. They don't feel safe. He says crime in downtown Vancouver has been on the rise in recent years. We got broken into twice in two weeks. Downtown, will it become a ghost town? Will it become just a haven for criminal activity? We'll find out after October 15th. As for the boutique owner, he has this advice. Life throws you curves, and it's just how you bounce back from them. So I'm telling, please don't, you know, don't give up. We need small business. Julia Foy, Global News. Meanwhile, the province has received the final report into the challenges of repeat offenders and violent, unprovoked stranger attacks. And BC is now working on three recommendations to come out of it. The province will aim to bring back the prolific offender management program that ran from 2008 until 2012. In its first year, it was shown to reduce repeat offending by as much as 40%. The province will also work to establish a dedicated committee to coordinate support for people with complex health care needs within the criminal justice system. And BC will support the development of a pilot program at the Prince George First Nations Justice Center to help Indigenous people who come into conflict with the law. Now, of course, as you heard, public safety is one of the key issues in the upcoming civic election. Voting day is officially October 15th, but today is the first chance for Vancouverites to cast their ballots early. A number of polling stations are open until 8 p.m. tonight, as well as four other days in the lead-up to Election Day. Other cities, like Surrey, are hosting advanced voting next week. There are around 450,000 eligible voters in Vancouver, and to help boost participation, the city is trying to make it more accessible to cast a ballot. There are also devices to help those who have disabilities, such as a homebound voting pilot project and audio tactile devices. We think it's really important that people be able to vote. Democracy is only as strong as our participation, and so we need to try to ensure we're doing everything we can to help people participate and break down some of those barriers. Another leading issue at the ballot box in Vancouver is access to Stanley Park, which has dramatically changed in the past few years. Paul Johnson has a look at what's at stake. Love it or hate it. Access to Stanley Park changed during the pandemic. 
favoring bikes at the expense of cars. We're all for putting the park back to what it was before COVID. That was the message at Saturday's rally near the park. Weeks out from municipal elections that could change the makeup of Vancouver's park board. Those who prefer the old system are saying, get out and speak your mind with your ballot. Colleen Hardwick is running for mayor with Team for a Livable Vancouver. When the pandemic started, we took a lot of restrictions on access that have affected uh, certain people, especially people with disabilities, seniors, parents with small children, people generally with mobility issues. Backing Hardwick up on that point was Caitlin Anderson who said many with disabilities felt they weren't consulted adequately before the park board made its changes. We want to be part of the decision making. We want to be part of the consultation about something that will very greatly affect us. No one from the park board got back to us in time for this story. And of the city's other mayoral candidates, Ken Sims, ABC Vancouver, told Global News that restricting cars has made the park less accessible. They favor a plan that would accommodate both bikes and cars. But as politicians are pushing for something decisive on the issue in this month's election, a spokesman for Vancouver's Hub Cycling Advocacy Group suggested waiting for the results of a study that's currently underway would be his preference, instead of upending a setup that he says has been largely successful so far. In Stanley Park, Paul Johnson, Global News. Some more breaking news for you right now, and again, it involves fire. Firefighters in North Langley Township are battling an industrial fire. A thick plume of smoke can be seen in the 20300 block of 102B Avenue, just east of the Golden Ears Bridge on the south side of the Fraser River. This fire broke out shortly after 5 o'clock this afternoon. The area is home to several recycling facilities, and it's believed a pile of wood waste is burning and possibly a building right next to it. Any further updates, again, we'll bring them to you. Right now, though, Vancouver police are investigating a serious, uh, serious multi-vehicle crash early this morning on Knight Street near 51st Avenue, where the suspect driver allegedly fled the scene. Vancouver police say just before 3 a.m., a Range Rover traveling south on Knight Street rear-ended a vehicle, which then hit a parked car and knocked down a street light. Police say the driver of the Range Rover ran away as the vehicle rolled to a stop. One person was taken to hospital. His injuries are said to be non-life-threatening. Vancouver police are investigating whether impairment contributed to the crash. BPD add they've seized video of the collision and they have a pretty good idea of who the suspect driver is. A longtime Vancouver activist known as a downtown east side and Chinatown advocate has died. Sid Chow Tan, a founding director of the Head Tax Families Society of Canada, is being remembered for dedicating his life to helping others in need and standing up for those who didn't have a voice. Tan fought for redress over the systemic discrimination Chinese Canadians faced after his own grandfather paid the head tax. Tan also fought against gentrification in the downtown east side and pushed for affordable housing. He died peacefully at home last Monday Tan was 73 years old. His children are planning a celebration of life for December at the Carnegie Centre Theatre. Up next, Vancouver's rally for freedom. Worldwide protests show solidarity with the women of Iran. And Vancouver's most famous lifeguard gets an honour he most certainly deserves.
Tens of thousands of people are taking to the streets of cities around the world to stand in solidarity with women and men in Iran. They've been protesting for weeks after the death of a young woman arrested by that country's morality police. And again, one of the biggest rallies in B.C. taking place today in Vancouver. Global's Nagar Mojtahedi joins us now with all the details from down there. Nagar, lots of emotion today. Definitely, Chris. And there's still a large crowd gathering here this evening at the Vancouver Art Gallery. But earlier this afternoon, tens of thousands of people, hand in hand, formed a human chain from Stanley Park all the way to the Vancouver Art Gallery. They chanted, women, life, freedom, which has become the unofficial slogan of this movement after the death of 22-year-old Masao Amini. Vancouver is one of 153 cities across the globe taking part in this human chain event. It was actually called upon by initially by Hamid Esmailian, whose wife and daughter were killed when the IRGC shot down Ukraine Airlines Flight 752 on January 8, 2020. Now, protesters here are showing their solidarity with the people of Iran and are calling for regime change. We actually spoke with the husband of Neda Agha Sultan, who was shot and killed by the regime in protests in 2009. Here's what he and other protesters had to say today. My heart is very heavy and warm. I'm very proud that I can see so many people here get together against Islamic regime. They're fighting for much more freedom. Uh, basically, uh, there's so many ridiculous stuff that are not uh, okay for Iranians to do, such as even owning a dog, sing, for women to sing, or for women to um, have abortion to get divorced without their husbands permission or to even travel without their husband's permission. But that's not only um, like alone for, for women, men are also um, kind of confided in this because they're not allowed to be queer in Iran, they're not allowed to party, they're not allowed to drink alcohol. Basically, there's no freedom to have any fun or just live life there. Now, Chris, protesters in Iran are also forming human chains, but for a very different reason. They say they're trying to protect themselves from security forces. And now we're learning from Amnesty International that there are leaked documents that show the Iranian regime has ordered its army to brutally crack down protesters in Iran. So far, we're hearing reports that at least 83 people have been killed in this past week alone. Chris? All right. It's a story that is not going away, that's for sure. Nagar, thank you very much. More now on the growing worldwide pressure on Iran as many communities across the country and around the world show their solidarity. Tom Vernon has that part of the story. They came in waves, holding flags and banners. Thousands of Iranian Canadians and supporters took to the streets of Toronto to honor Masa Amini and to demand justice in the young woman's death. Our main aim today is to echo the voice of the people of Iran who have been resisting, not only resisting, but fighting back the brutal regime of Iran. It was just over two weeks ago the 22-year-old Amini died after being taken into custody by Iranian authorities, allegedly for wearing her hijab too loosely. Her family says she was severely beaten. Iranian police deny the charge. They say she died of a heart attack. For 15 days, Iranians have taken to the streets, women defying the regime by waving their hijabs in the air. It's very important for people to see 
for how many years people have been fighting for very basic rights. Dr. Kathy Ranavardi is involved in the Vancouver rally, a movement she hopes will grab the attention of all Canadians and force politicians here to act. We are together, we're angry, we want our rights, and we will continue. This has become an international movement. In Madrid, Spain, this woman cut her hair in solidarity with the women of Iran. All of them are important to me, and this is the symbol of that. Huge crowds also gathered in Paris, waving flags and holding signs that included phrases like standing together against the barbarians. In London, they chanted Masa Emini's name and demanded the government there take action. I'm demonstrating for freedom of women in Iran. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the Biden administration in the United States have each announced sanctions will be put in place, including against Iran's morality police, although the exact details of the sanctions have been scarce. In 150 communities around the world, women and men gathered to march to demand justice, hopeful that this time the world will hear their call and change will come for those standing up in Iran. I'm angry and inspired and hopeful and frustrated all at the same time. Tom Vernon, Global News, Edmonton. Coming up 72 hours after Ian swept through, people are still being rescued. We shouldn't be alive right now with that storm. Widespread devastation from Florida all the way to North Carolina and the challenge to rebuild next. Also, early research reveals what might be a troubling link between COVID and diabetes in children. Three days after Hurricane Ian slammed into Florida's Gulf Coast as a Category 4 storm, its aftermath now stretches all the way up to the Carolinas and beyond. NBC's Wendy Woolfolk has more on the trail of destruction and heartache Ian left behind. The cleanup and aftermath of Hurricane Ian's second U.S. landfall along the Carolina coast. Here it goes! On Friday... The Cat 1 storm washing away this pier in North Myrtle Beach and leaving many areas underwater. But this coast escaped the worst. There's damage, there's some heartbreak, there's work to be done, but all in all, it's a, it is a good story, another good story for South Carolina. Where it's not a good story, some 700 miles away, where the destruction remains incomprehensible. It's many like a war the, zone right now. Yep, the many whole, of the, the whole island. The devastation's unbelievable. 72 hours after Ian slammed the southwest Florida coast as a massive Cat 4 hurricane, crews are still rescuing survivors in the hardest hit areas like Sanibel Island. We shouldn't be alive right now. We shouldn't be alive right now with that storm. This is the power of that storm. Power that tossed boats like toys on Fort Myers Beach. This satellite image shows how the storm has changed the coastline forever. A coastline where the cleanup has already started. I've seen a lot of resilience uh, in this community of people that, um, that want to pick themselves up and, and they want to get their communities back on their feet. Resilience and thanks. Just gratitude, just nothing but gratitude that we're here and, and for all that the people out there are doing. Doing what will be a long and difficult road to recovery. Wendy Wolfolk, NBC News, Pauley's Island, South Carolina. A former senator who resigned from the upper chamber amid scandals related to alleged sexual misconduct is now facing criminal charges. Don Meredith has been charged with three counts of sexual assault and one count of criminal harassment. 
Ottawa police say the alleged incidents took place in 2013 and 2014 and were reported by an adult woman. Meredith was appointed to Senate by former Prime Minister Stephen Harper in 2010. He resigned in 2017 after the Ethics Committee recommended he be expelled for using his position to pursue a sexual relationship with a teen girl. A second investigation released in 2019 found he had repeatedly bullied and intimidated his staff as well as touched and kissed some of them. Meredith has been released by police on a promise to appear in court. In Health Matters tonight, the U.S. Center for Disease Control says at-risk people who received a single dose of the monkeypox vaccine appear to be significantly less likely to get sick from the disease. Over the summer, the CDC tracked unvaccinated people who were eligible for the vaccine but did not get one. Public health officials found they were 14 times more likely to become infected compared to those who got one shot. Officials are still urging at-risk individuals to get a second dose for full protection. The disease is spread through close person-to-person -person contact. So far in Western countries, the virus has primarily been spread among men who have sex with infected men. And we are learning children who've been infected with COVID-19 show a substantially higher risk of developing type 1 diabetes. A study published in JAMA Network Open tracked more than a million patients 18 years old and younger. Researchers found a 72% increase in new diagnoses of type 1 diabetes within six months of an infection. Experts say the findings do not prove that COVID-19 is to blame, but this latest study adds to a body of evidence linking the infection to heightened risks of various long-term health conditions. Still to come, uncovering the grisly truth. I think Vancouver fans were absolutely lied to. The new film from a Vancouver Grizzlies superfan and how she brought the team back together. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. An 800-kilometer bike ride ended this week with one final push to the B.C. Cancer Agency. The Cops for Cancer Tour de Coast arrived in Vancouver Thursday after nine days touring the Lower Mainland, Sunshine Coast and Sea to Sky region, raising money to fight childhood cancer. All of our hard work, all of those hill climbs uh, were all for the kids. So the little bit of suffering that we have to do uh, is nothing in comparison to what kids who are undergoing cancer treatment have to go through. So that definitely was in the back of our minds through each, each pedal stroke. We admit after two and a half years of pandemic, it's been a tough go. But I tell you what, I'm elated to tell you that those men and women have pulled together. They've been fundraising all summer. They are now, have, they have now raised from $540,000 and counting. Donations to the Tour de Coast are still open through the Canadian Cancer Society website, cancer.ca. Please give it a visit and donate if you can. All right, we've got Yvonne Shell in, uh, taking a look at the weather. We've got a couple of wildfires on the go. It's warm out there still for the first day of October. It's uh, pretty unusual. Yeah, it still feels like summer. Thank you so much, Chris, and good evening, everyone. It's been spectacular in terms of the heat, but yes, we still have the drought, and I'll have your fire danger rating coming up in just a moment. Beautiful out there, though, with the sunset this evening. Temperatures are currently sitting at 17, and we've got more of a northwesterly wind at 11 kilometers per hour. A few other spots across the province today. Lytton still getting up to 27 Kamloops, climbing 
climbing up to 26 in areas near Kelowna, with highs today up to 24 degrees. Metro Vancouver, we bumped up to 19. We're well above that average of 16, but not quite record-breaking. 22 on this day, and that was set back in 2008. Official sunset this evening, closer to 6.52. Overnight tonight, we will have some fog patches in the mix. We'll see it into the morning hours, and then we're back into some sunshine. Very similar to what we're seeing today. 20 away from the water up to 25, and with the humidex, it'll feel like 28. Still a blip in the forecast with that rainfall will be along the north coast. It'll taper off and then drying out for tomorrow. So great news. We will see a drying trend along the north coast and it is dry for much of the central and southern half of the province into early next week. Upper level chart showing us that ridge still remaining quite strong in the coming days. It'll be dry towards the end of the week, potentially and towards next weekend as well. A reminder, our drought levels for the province though sitting at extreme. We can see the red areas right along the south coast. Metro Vancouver, the island included within that and our fire danger rating still sitting at anywhere between high, a few spots at extreme. We can see that in towards the northeastern corners of the province, so still be very diligent in the coming days. Temperature trend with the heat, though, we'll see that surge still leading in towards early next week, likely still into the low 20s and still well above the average for this time of the year. The northern half of the province, a nice break tomorrow as it dries out, will be up to 16 degrees. Central interior underneath the partly cloudy sky, much of the southern half of the province will still see those temperatures getting into the 20s. Thompson, Okanagan, 26 in areas near Whistler, bumping up to 25. We could see some fog patches for much of the south coast. That'll be for the morning hours. It'll dissipate through the afternoon. Tomorrow it warms up. We will see the humex closer to 28. Similar temperatures on Monday into early next week and then a few clouds in the mix, but still very pleasant for our Wednesday, Thursday with highs up to 19. Chris? Amazing. Sunshine keeps rolling on. Thanks very much. Not a bad time to get to the beach. Still, who would have thought on October the 1st? The Vancouver Heritage Foundation is honoring legendary lifeguard Joe Fortes. Seraphim Joe Forte's story is one that resonates with our collective identity as Vancouverites. The Places That Matter program dedicated its 93rd plaque to the city's first lifeguard. Forte spent more than 20 years as a Vancouver employee and became the first English Bay lifeguard in 1910. He's credited with saving at least 29 lives from drowning before he died in 1922. The plaque will be installed at English Bay Beach right across from the bathhouse. He was a local celebrity in early Vancouver from all accounts, especially from local newspapers and community members, which has given him a sort of mythic status. And yet today, one would like to know more about Seraphim himself and what he really thought about it all. So today we reflect on the Vancouver of Joe's time, 100 years ago, at least, uh, but also the legacies he has left with us and how he, the person, continues to intrigue and inspire everyone. What would he say about the restaurant named after him today, too? I'm sure he'd love the oysters. I bet he would, just like the rest of us. All right, Barry's in with a look ahead to sports. What do you got, Barry? Well, lots coming up. Canucks are just about to step on the ice in Seattle against uh, the Kraken, so we'll tee that up for you and maybe show you an early goal if they uh, have one. Whitecaps, well, they could be eliminated from the playoffs tonight if things don't go their way, so we'll uh, tell you the scenarios there. And, hey, how about the Lions last night? Looked really good. Vernon Adams Jr. and the, the team really bounced back after a bit of a stinker against the Stamps. We'll take a look back at their win over Ottawa. All right, look forward to all that. Thanks very much, Barry. Thanks, Yvonne. Also coming up, Clean Energy Expo in the Okanagan, showcasing electrifying ideas in building and transportation as the world embraces a green transition. From the stories we need to know to a look at what's happening right now around us, when BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together.
Global News Connect. Transitioning the world to a greener economy is a huge challenge, but many BC companies look at that as an opportunity. They were showcasing their ideas and inventions at the fourth annual Clean Energy Expo in Penticton today. Jaden Wozni shows us what he found. First Things First Okanagan is a nonprofit group that promotes climate change awareness with the goal of finding more clean energy solutions. The Clean Energy Expo is just another example of how they're working to achieve this objective. And of course, the most important thing is, is that we don't put carbon into the air. So as a result, we have to talk about the kind of energy that is as clean as possible. The expo, featuring a variety of different information booths, from solar energy to electric cars and bikes, and even a demonstration on how to make your home more energy efficient. If we look around the world now, we see what the problem is. And uh, these hurricanes, these floods that they're having, the monsoon floods in Pakistan, our heat dome, it's unavoidable and undeniable that this is about climate change. Several car dealerships were also at the expo to show off the latest electric vehicle models. One car salesperson says that the majority of his customers are looking to ditch their gas-powered vehicle for an electric, even if it means a long wait. With the inventory shortage right now, it makes it a lot harder for them to get it, right? So people are even willing to put thousands of dollars on a deposit list, and uh, when we get the vehicle in, we'll give them a call. But they're willing to wait up to two years, which is insane. One Kelowna businessman is selling these electric vehicle charging stations that can be installed into your home. Owner of Beach Tech EV says these charging stations are a lot cheaper than fueling up a gas-powered vehicle, and they're energy efficient too. Well, this runs on your standard 220-volt outlet, just like a dryer outlet for your home, and um, it, it costs pennies to charge up on a daily basis. And it's a 10-kilowatt level 2 fa uh, fast charger, and um, it's one of the best um, chargers on the market for the money. To learn more about First Things First Okanagan and for tips on sustainable living, go to our website, globalnews.ca slash Okanagan. Jaden Wozni, Global News, Penticton. Barry is coming up next with sports, and after that, healing the heartbreak of a sports travesty. I was shocked. Crestfall. I never saw it coming. The baffling demise of the Vancouver Grizzlies and the superfan filmmaker who brought some of the team back together. We are at a critical turning point in cancer research, but together, our potential is beyond belief. The BC Cancer Foundation has launched the most ambitious health campaign in BC's history. Give today at gobeyondbeliefbc.ca. Variety Week returns to Global BC. From October 17th through 21st, tune into Global's newscast all week and meet the kids who need your help now. Call 310KIDS and donate at variety.bc.ca and your donation will be matched. This fall, don't miss the grandest and most wicked Halloween festival Burnaby's ever had. Throughout October, check out the many events including zombies, a haunted village, horror flicks, decorating contests, and more. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. If you want to know, it's on the house. If you want to show, it's on the house. The Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. Blue Suit Brothers, yeah. ready to go. Barry's got sports for you. That's right, vintage uh, kind of hockey night in Canada. Look, it is sort of close. Sorta. You have to 
looks sideways, but it's there. All right, thanks, Chris. Um, I expect we will see a much better all-around effort from the Canucks tonight in Seattle. Bruce Boudreaux was not happy with the uh, lax defensive play in the third period of their 4-3 overtime home loss to the Kraken on Thursday. Thatcher Demko got the start again tonight. Jack Rathbone gets another look on the Canucks blue line. Just underway, no score in Seattle. We'll have highlights at 11. The Whitecaps play their final home game of the season tonight against Austin. Kickoff less than a half hour away at BC Place. The Caps need to win and hope Minnesota loses in San Jose. Anything less than that, and the Whitecaps are officially eliminated from the playoffs once again. Highlights at 11. The Lions bounce back nicely from that uh, flat performance last week against the Stamps by beating Ottawa handily 34-19 last night. Vernon Adams Jr. got his mojo back, which is real good news, throwing for 300 yards and two touchdowns. He also used that fantastic foot speed of his to get some crucial first downs. It was a positive step forward for a Lions team trying to reestablish itself as a contender since Nathan Rourke went down with a foot injury six weeks ago. Man, um, I said earlier, the guys were locked in this week, pissed off about the loss. Um, and short week, but we knew what we had to do, man. We knew that was good defense over there. And um, like you said, we are just clicking on all, pretty much all, all cylinders. And uh, I don't like the way I finished, but um, we'll get better. We'll watch the film and get better from it. Um, I thought our defense did a lot of good things. I know there were some plays, though, that I thought we could have got off the field. I hope we learn we can... We're going to watch this tomorrow, and I think it's good to learn some situational football of what they're trying to do, what we're trying to do, and that you got to play this thing all the way um, 60 minutes. So, um, you know, they made some good plays, but at the same time, I think there were plays that we could have made to get us off the field and not have it be uh, quite as uh, stressful as it needed to be. CFL tonight, Stampeders and Argonauts from Calgary. Stamps two points behind the Lions for second in the West. Second quarter, Calgary gets the game's first touchdown. Jake Mayer to Reggie Begleton. 16-yard touchdown, 7-1 Calgary at that point. They led 14-2 at the half. No more scoring until the fourth, and the defenses continue to dominate, especially the Stamps. Cameron Judge picks off McLeod, Bethel Thompson, and returns it all the way for the touchdown. A 70-yard pick six. It looks like the Stamps are going to win this one. It's 21-2 right now. Stampeders late in the fourth quarter. Meanwhile, in Edmonton, Elks looking for their first home win since 2019. 14 straight losses. That is hard to believe. Second quarter, Alouette's already up three. Add to their lead, Trevor Harris to Eugene Lewis. How about that catch? It was a great throw. Dropped it right in there. But a one-handed grab by Lewis. Eight-yard touchdown. Al's up 14-4. But credit the Elks. They went up by one. We're knocking on the door for more. But disaster strikes. Taylor Cornelius's pass deflected, then picked off by Tyrese Beverett. And he ain't stopping until he gets to the Elks end zone. A 100-yard pick six. And the Alouettes add to Edmonton's home misery. 25-18 the final. Al's now 7-7. Seven and seven. Elks are 4-11, including 0-7 at home this year. Final weekend of the baseball regular season. Jays have clinched a playoff spot, but want to finish first in the wild card to get home field in the first round. They roughed up the Red Sox again today. Teoscar Hernandez launches a solo shot to center, 23rd of the year. For T.O., 5 nothing. Jays. Next man up, Danny Jansen, and he goes deep, just clears the wall. His 15th of the year. Jansen and Alejandro Kirk have combined for 29 homers and 106 RBI from the catcher DH spot. That's amazing production. Vladdy gets in on the act, slices one 
to right for a ground rule double. 96th RBI for him. Not bad for a guy who many think is not having that good of a year. Jays win again 10 to nothing. Meanwhile, this happened. A lot of anxious folks out here at the ballpark. 3-2 to count. The pitch from Acevedo. In case you missed it, the Mariners clinched their first playoff appearance in 21 years in very dramatic fashion. Cal Raleigh with a pinch hit walk-off homer that sent the M's fans uh, into a frenzy. What a way to announce your arrival in the postseason. There's a good chance the M's and Jays could meet in the first round. Mariners won again today 5-1, so they're a game and a half back of the Jays. Seattle's got five left. Toronto has four. If the playoffs started today, they would meet in Toronto. Canada's Mackenzie Hughes in contention at the Sanderson Farms Championship in Jackson, Mississippi. Started the day tied for the lead. 14th hole out of the bunker. Boy, how's that touch? Great to, to, touch to within three feet. Made that for birdie. Back tied for the lead. Mark Hubbard made a huge push on the back nine. His approach at the 18th, this is from 203 yards out. When they twirl the club like that, they like it, and he does. It's inside four feet, would make the birdie. Six birdies on the back nine for Hubbard, led at 15 under after a seven under 65. Hughes, meanwhile, in 18, slick downhill putt, but he will knock it in for birdie. He's at 14 under, just one back of the leader. Hubbard, Nick Taylor tied 15th at 8 under. Adam Hadwin tied 25th at minus 7. And Surrey's Adam Svensson tied 67 at 3 under. English Premiership, first place Arsenal against third place Tottenham Hotspur. Gunners come out gunning. Thomas Partey smashing one to the top of the net. 1-0 Arsenal and now 2-1 Reds in the second half and they seal it on a beautiful one from Granit Xhaka. Arsenal win 3-1. They're now 7-1 on the season or 7-1 on the season first place in the Premiership. Also today Liverpool and Brighton and Brighton's had a very bright start. Actually four points more than struggling Liverpool. Brighton jumped out 2-0 but Roberto Firmino and Liverpool fight back. Firmino nets his second of the day. Liverpool tie it and then took the lead on an own goal. But Brighton not finished yet. 83rd minute, Leandro Trossard with his hat-trick goal. And Brighton and Hobb Albion showing they are for real. Three all tied today at Anfield. Brighton fourth place. Liverpool struggling in ninth. And overnight, FIBA Women's World Cup, Canada taking on the host Australians in the bronze medal game. Kia Nurse, who's coming back from uh, reconstructive knee surgery, 11-month rehab. Boy, she was terrific. She's got better and better with each game. She had the drive there, banks it in, and then hits the three. She had 19 first-half points, but Canada still trailed by eight at the half. Unfortunately, Nurse couldn't score in the second half, and Canada just ran out of gas. The Aussies pulling away to win it, 95-65 to claim the bronze, but Canada's fourth-place finish the best since 1986. The Americans beat China to win the gold. That is it for Spoons. Good, good effort. Mm -hmm. All right, thanks very much, Barry. We're back with a reunion of Vancouver Grizzlies and one notable almost Grizzly 20 years after the team left town. That's next. Hard to believe it's been 20. All right, uh, a BC filmmaker and basketball superfan is celebrating the new release, the premiere, really, of her new basketball movie, a documentary about the baffling demise <laughs> of the Vancouver Grizzlies.
It didn't seem like it was fair, and it didn't seem right. More than two decades later, I'm on a mission to uncover the truth behind why the Vancouver Grizzlies left town. There's so many people you can point fingers at. For some reason, I put all the blame on Stu Jackson. It almost looked as if he wanted us to not be good. Part autobiography, part forensic investigation, Cat Jamie made the grisly truth to solve the mystery of why her beloved team failed so miserably and then packed up and left so suddenly after only six years in Vancouver. Jamie convinced many of the major players, managers, insiders and fans to talk. And perhaps most impressively, she organized a reunion of the team right after today's showing. I got to meet real-life Grizzly players, um, especially, you know, uh, C. Francis, who is, you know, used to be public enemy number one in Vancouver, got to hear his side of the story. I thought Kathy did a great job of, like I said, the whole timeline from when they came in 95 to 2001, explaining the whole story. For me, um, you know, it was a busy decision for the ownership, but I knew basketball would continue somewhere, but, you know, Vancouver, unfortunately, was without a team, but we're here to try to get another team here. There is another showing of the Grizzly Truth Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Tickets are available through the Vancouver International Film Festival website. Barry, will we ever get another team? I don't know. I noticed they missed a lot of shots even there. So they, they definitely got that part right. But yeah, it was a short but uh, not so sweet six years here in Vancouver. Sure was. Bring them back. Big country. All right. Thanks very much for watching, everybody. Have a great night.